me over there. Let's stand for God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 22 um, in verse 28. Verse 28 says, And thou dost save an afflicted people, but thine eyes are on the haughty whom thou dost abase. For thou art my lamp, O Lord. The Lord illuminates my darkness, for by thee I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over walls. As for God, his ways is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? Who is, and who is a rock besides God? God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. For he makes my feet um, to not stumble. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for this day, for this time to worship you, for this time to love you. Lord, I pray that the distractions that are on our hearts, that you will just take those away, that we'll listen to these words as we praise you. Lord, we just love you and we praise you for everything that you have done in our lives, Lord. God, we don't deserve anything, but you sent your son to die on the cross for us, to make a way for us, to love us, even when we are unlovable. Thank you that you love us in spite of our sin, and thank you that you forgive us of our sin. And every day is a new day for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, everybody. As you remain standing, we're going we're gonna to sing about all the things uh, Jordan just said about our Lord. Um, Wanted to read a quick verse. Psalm 147.1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. And so, um, quick question, is he worthy of your praise this morning? He's worthy of our praise, isn't he? So we're going to sing together and uh, start out with God is able.
He is able, amen? Our God and Savior is able. We're going to sing stronger. There's a theme this morning about the strong, strong foundation that is found only in Jesus Christ. It's a firm foundation that is sure. Our hope is sure this morning. We're going to sing about that. Sing together. And there is love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness. You rose again, victorious. Sing faithfulness. Faithfulness none can deny Through the storm and through the fire There is truth that sets me free Jesus Christ who lives in me Sing stronger You are stronger, you are stronger Sin is broken, you have saved me. It is written, Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of all. No beginning and no end, you're my hope. And save the lost. You paid it all upon the cross. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you.
Old classic. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Let's sing that together. Trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust. Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. And I'm so glad I've learned to trust Him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that He me for asking, but how long has that wall been there? This, I thought I was losing my mind. I said, I don't remember seeing that. <laughs> oh, well, good morning. Uh, it is good to see you. Uh, you say, well, I don't agree. It's not good for us to see you. Uh, our pastor uh, is going to be coming home this week, as far as we know. Uh, they released him from the jails. And, uh, <laughs> now, wouldn't it be great, though, if you're put in jail because you're telling people about Jesus? There's precedent for that. that that's happened before, <laughs> uh, thousands of years ago, 2,000 years ago. Uh, I, I must mention just so very quickly, uh, the Joy Club, and we've, it's in the bulletin, there's a flyer, 
But uh, we're going to see a play called Esther in Leeds. And what I want to mention to you is that uh, the tickets are, are $15, but we only have 25 And so it's first come, first serve. And so you need to see Glenda or see Peggy if you want to come and purchase your ticket. And then we look forward um, on the 25th of July to going uh, to see a, what will be a, a wonderful play. The cast includes some of our own uh, church family, Nancy Baines and Rose Love, Grace Riley, and then Krista Harper and Olivia Swallow. That's the daughter and granddaughters of Phil and Jackie Hansen. Why aren't y'all in the play? Y'all are the only ones that seem to be <laughs> excluded. <laughs> Pay wasn't right, huh? Okay. But anyway, that'll be something to look forward to toward the end of the month for an outing for the Joy Club. And one other thing, uh, Dean had talked to me during the week, and uh, he brought something to my attention that, to be honest, I, I did not know. Now, that's, that's not rare. That's common. But uh, I, have, I have seen it. I've watched it. I've been present at grave sites where they take a flag off of a veteran's coffin and then fold it and give it to the family. And it's always folded into that triangular shape. What I didn't know is that there are 13 folds very precise, and each one of those folds, there has been attached to each fold uh, some significant thing. And what's amazing is that our military, they're the ones that have done this. They have attached spiritual values to the folding of the flag. And so um, I don't have time, won't, won't take time to, to read them, but... Uh, they, uh, if you go online, just look up the American flag, folding the flag. Uh, you'll find it, and it gives you all that uh, information, and it's just fascinating to see the spiritual values that they attach to the very folding of, of our American flag. All right. As our screen uh, shows us, uh, my, my topic for today is our great freedoms. And uh, you know, when I was uh, preaching every Sunday in the pulpit, um, if you didn't have time for everything, I do like Thad, just look, come back the next week and, and just uh, start again. But you were going to be in a series for as long as it takes. Uh, when you preach every once in a while, it's got to all be at one shot. When I say amen, uh, that's it. Uh, and so... Um, I spent three weeks putting it all together, and then I spent six hours yesterday taking a lot of it out, because uh, I, I know you want to go home for lunch, and choir practice is at five o'clock, and uh, I, I wouldn't be able to get you, get you there. But I do want to speak on this issue of, of our great freedoms. Uh, if you were an Israelite back in the days of the Old Testament, perhaps the, the greatest National Day of the Year, the greatest national celebration of the year would be the Feast of Passover, because that was the celebration of God's delivering Israel from 400 years of bondage. They were slaves for 400 years, 
and it in part was God's discipline upon their, their willingness to obey. And it's a Jewish tradition at the Passover meal for the youngest child to ask the family patriarch, uh, the daddy or, or the grandpa, what makes this uh, celebration different from any other? And that question opens the door to talk about the remembrance of the miraculous working of God and how he delivered Israel from that bondage in Egypt. That's where the plagues uh, came in and all that. Um, I had a sermon on the plagues and I titled it, There's a Fungus Among Us. Uh, <laughs> but um, God miraculously delivered his people and they were told to memorialize that. And that's a great, great day of celebration for Israel. What would you say today in our generation if the youngest person in your family on the 4th of July, which we celebrated Thursday, what would you say if a young person would say, what makes the 4th of July different from all the other days of the year for us? And I would hope that you would be able to explain the historical significance of the birth of America, because that's what the 4th of July is all about. Uh, it was on July 2nd that 56 men wrote a document that was called the Declaration of Independence. And it was finally approved and made public on July the 4th, 1776. Uh, there were men from 13 of the colonies who signed that document. And uh, they listed at least 27 specific grievances they had against King George of England, King George II, no relation to me, none whatsoever. But he was a tyrannical king, and he was being tyrannical over the colonies that came from England for the most part. And they were declaring their independence, and they felt that they had God's blessing to do so because they could not be the people that God wanted them to be because of all the the tyranny that was being placed upon them. And by signing their names, these men were risking everything, everything they owned, everything they were. And they were willing to pay that price because they wanted freedom, freedom from them, for themselves and freedom for their children and for generations to come. On July the 3rd, George Washington wrote a letter to uh, his dear wife, Martha, and uh, a part of that letter, he said, in a few days you will see a declaration setting forth the causes which have impelled us to this mighty revolution and the reasons which would, will justify, uh, justify it in the sight of God. He goes on to say, I'm fully aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost to maintain this declaration and support and defend these states. Yet through all the gloom, I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory. They were being driven by a spiritual force. Now, I think we all have been taught that America didn't just pop out of the ground, but it was something that Almighty God had his hand in. It was a nation that would be the showcase to the world of freedom. 
And of course, we think of, well, that's freedom. I can do whatever I want. God intended for us to do what he wants. He wanted us to have the freedom to serve him and to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish among the people of this earth. John Adams, who was our second president, he said, if it be the pleasure of heaven that my country shall require the poor offering of my life, the victim shall be ready at the appointed hour of sacrifice. Come when that hour may come. But while I do live, let me have a country, and that a free country. We take that for granted, don't we? You woke up this morning in a free country. You can make a choice. Am I going to come and be a part of the worship of the church? Or am I going to watch tennis or watch the reruns of all the fireworks displays that have been going on? There have been some tremendous ones, (laughs) unbelievable ones. But here was a man who didn't have that freedom, but he felt that by the, by the mighty hand of God, it could become a reality in the birth of a new nation. And that's what the Declaration of Independence was all about. For many of these men, the price was very, very high. Five were captured by the British and tortured before they finally died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the war that ensued for independence. And nine either died from war wounds or from hardships suffered in the war. They lost everything they owned materially, and they lost the lives of themselves and their sons and others as well. The freedoms that we enjoy today and and the result of which these men sacrificed and risked 243 years ago has allowed America to become the richest nation upon the earth. But that was not the goal. The goal was not to become the richest. The goal was to become the freest so that we could be a model to other countries that so desperately would love to have what we have, freedom. And so I challenge you to never forget that there was a cost paid for the freedom uh, that, that we do enjoy. And Alexander Hamilton, uh, he made a comment in 1786. He said, for my own part, I sincerely esteem it a system which without the finger of God never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. The men that came together in 1776 and pledged themselves to the cause of independence, they weren't all members of Bible churches. Some of them we would not really consider Christians. Some uh, had a concept of God. He was a deist God. He, he created it, and then he just turned it loose and gave it rules to, to govern itself by. He didn't, you know, they had different views. They weren't all the, the same-minded as we ourselves are. But they were of one mind to know that freedom was what God would have them fight for. And 243 years later, we enjoy it. And I ask the Lord to give us the ability to appreciate what those men did. Um, 
But now for the Christian, there's another freedom that I want to talk about. We enjoy our political freedom as Americans, and we celebrate that on the 4th of July. But I want to talk about our spiritual freedom. And the first thing that's important to understand is the cost of pursuing our spiritual freedom. There was a cost for it. Uh, We didn't pay it, but it had to be paid. And of course, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about Christ himself and what he did for us. If you're here today and you say, well, I really don't know what you mean well, in a, in a very thumbnail way, very quickly, it, it involves the fact that Jesus, who was the incarnate Son of God, he became separated from God while he was on the cross. That, that moment began when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And... During that time, Jesus was giving his life as payment for the sins of the world. And he did it voluntarily. He wasn't being dragged to the cross. He wasn't fighting off anybody who would try to uh, uh, apprehend him. John 10:18 says, No one has taken it away from me but I lay it down on my own initiative. He willingly, in obedience to the will of the Father, he went to the cross knowing that he would be the sacrifice for the sins of men. He himself said in Matthew, uh, Mark 10, uh, 45, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus was our substitute And in being our substitute, two great imputations took place. And by imputations, that's a theological word that uh, literally means to charge to someone's account. Uh, We were at Disney a few weeks ago, and uh, they gave Glenda and me both one of these little wristband things, and it had the emblem of Mickey Mouse on it, so I could spit at it occasionally. And you could go anywhere in the park, and not only me, but Glinda. I'm only thankful that my own kids weren't weren't there. One was, Chris. But you can go anywhere in the park, you see something you want, and you grab it, and then you scan this thing, and you walk out with it, it's yours. You want a $12 hot dog? Get it, scan it. You want a bottle of water that costs $4.50 and it's not cold? Just. You want a $45 t-shirt that doesn't fit? Scan it and walk out with it. And you're thinking, well, gosh, are they giving me all this? No. Everything you scan is being charged to your account. You have an account. And the last day when you're ready to leave, they slip it under your door. Mine, they had to knock because it was like a phone book. (laughs) It was so thick. We left our car in the parking lot. We didn't need it. We rode the monorail. We rode the bus. uh, We walked. I didn't walk. I had a scooter. 
and I tooled around in my little scooter. I could take it right up into my room. Uh, I drove it across marble floors and Persian rugs that cost thousands of dollars. Uh, and my son had arranged that, and I was so, so appreciative that he was thinking about me and how hard it would be for me to, to walk 10 miles a day around that park, or the different parks. I later found out that he had an ulterior motive. Uh, by having the scooter, they registered me as handicapped. You're supposed to laugh at that, but, <laughs> but it really was true. Uh, and so it, that way, when we wanted to go to one of the rides or entertainments, they would see me in that scooter that, you know, right to the front. We never had to wait in line. And of course, all my family had to come with me because I'm too handicapped to get out of it. But, you know. <laughs> but when we got that bill, I can't believe the, the, the bill. And I'm thinking, well, where, where did this order of ch chow mein soup come from? Linda says, oh, while you were over here, I went over there and, and just got me some soup. And I said, $18 for a, a little cup of soup? But that's what the word means, to charge to, to impute. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he, the Father, made him the Son, who knew no sin. Christ was sinless in his humanity. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He charged our sin to his Son. And Christ became the Lamb of God. And instead of the Holy of Holies in the temple, it was Calvary's cross where the sacrifice was offered. And Christ went to the cross and paid the penalty for every man, woman, boy, and girl upon this earth. And it says that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You have the righteousness of God in you. Now, how did you get it? The same way Christ got your sin. God imputed your sin to his son. And then when you believe, God imputed his own righteousness to you. So that now you have the righteousness of God in you because of Jesus Christ. And that makes you acceptable to God today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. God can never turn away from you because you are his child. And it's, it's eternal. It can't be undone any more than you cannot take one of your physical children and undo them. You'd like to sometimes, I know. Uh, a child can either be an obedient child or a disobedient child. It can't stop being a child. It will always be your child. And you will always be Christ, a God's child, through his son, Jesus Christ. You did nothing to merit it. Therefore, you can do nothing to forfeit it. That's what grace is all about. Grace is what God does by his own sovereign purpose. And he's giving sinful people life, eternal life who don't deserve it, but he's given it to them because he's a God of grace. And we have the 
the, the uh, imputations. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place on the cross. So that salvation is a gift of grace through faith. Now, uh, one of my favorite movies, at least it used to be, I, I watched it too many times, but I used to like the Indiana Jones movies. And he's uh, in the Temple of Doom, and he's trying to get to the Holy Grail, and he, he has to go past these tests. And one of the tests is the test of faith. And they bring him to a, a, a ledge, and there's a, a, a chasm, and it's, you can't even see the bottom. But if you fall off, you better have your will made out because it'll be too late. I mean, it's death, sure death. And he is told that he has to step out on faith to cross over that chasm to the other side. And, of course, they dramatize it. It's a movie. And Indiana, you know, sucks it up and makes sure his belt's tight and everything. And he closes his eyes and he steps out and expecting, you know, just to pump up to into the uh, abyss, his foot hits something. And then the camera changes an angle, and suddenly you can see that there is a bridge, a stone bridge that is camouflage. And from where he was, you couldn't see it. But when you get to the side, you see it. But that's how they, that's how they test his faith. Was he willing to take a leap into nothingness and just hope that it would all turn out right? See, that's not biblical faith. That's Hollywood faith. Biblical faith is not leaping or stepping into nothingness and hoping it'll turn out okay. That's what's happening to people who play church. Well, somehow, some way, my church is going to get me to heaven. I don't want to stand it, but I'm just trusting them to get me to heaven. That's, that's not only blind stepping into nothingness, that's... That's stupidity. Biblical faith is opening your eyes and accepting the truth that God is revealing through his word. Biblical faith is believing what God has said. And God has said that my son died for you. And if you will trust him to be your savior, then your sins are dealt with once for all and you become my child, you have my righteousness for all of eternity. Now, that's what I think Paul says in Ephesians 2. He says, for by grace you've been saved. Salvation is by grace, through faith. And this, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Now, to be honest, this is a, a problematic passage. It's being misunderstood, I think, by, uh, by many, many people. Some people are in, well, for the sake of time, I'm going to let you read what Dr. Harold Honer, uh, he was the director of doctoral theology studies, and he was chairman and professor of New Testament literature and exegesis, at Dallas Seminary. Uh, he was one of my favorite professors. Uh, he, he loved to laugh. He loved practical jokes. Um, I don't have time to tell you. He's with the Lord now. But uh, he wrote uh, the commentary for the, uh, the, the big uh, two-volume 
commentary the seminary produced uh, uh, years ago. But he says this about, about that passage. He says, much debate has centered around the demonstrative pronoun this or that, depending on whether it's, you look at a New American Standard or a, or a New International Version. It's translated this or it's translated that. But he says, much debate has centered around that, that pronoun, which is tautu in, in the Greek text. Though some think it refers back to grace and others to faith, neither of these suggestions is really valid because the demonstrative pronoun is neuter, whereas grace and faith are feminine. You can't link uh, this, that, to grace and faith. And that's what some people try to do. They want to make faith the gift of God. You can't believe until God first regenerates you. And then he gives you faith. So that regeneration comes first, and then faith follows. I think the scriptures say it's just the opposite. It is faith that comes first. And through faith, we have regeneration. We have the new birth. We have uh, the Spirit's work in our life. He says, rather, the neuter, tautu, as is common, refers to the preceding phrase or clause. Thus, it refers back to the concept of salvation. It's not limited to faith or grace. It's talking about the whole process of salvation. Salvation is the gift of God because he designed it, and it's all his work, and it's offered to you as a gift. You either accept it or you reject it, but you don't sit down with him and, and edit it and add things you think need to go in or take things out that you think don't need to be, be in. It's all the work of God. He is a sovereign God. He won't share the glory of that with anyone. But he offers sinful men a way of escape from eternal death by believing, putting their faith in what God has said about what Christ did for us uh, at, at Calvary. This salvation does not have its source in man, but rather its source is God's grace. It is the gift of God. And so that's a part of the cost of the freedom that we enjoy. Uh, it's free to us. It's a gift to us. But it was also costly to God. It cost him his son. But quickly, not only the cost of our spiritual freedom, but I want to remind you about the treasure of your spiritual freedom. Don't uh, lay it aside thinking, well, you know, I got a lot of toys. That's just, you don't have any greater thing in your life than the reality of the eternal life that God brings to you through Jesus Christ and your faith in him. And this talks about our past. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that's the beginning of it. And if you were looking at this in a Greek translation, the thing that would jump out at you is that the word uh, love, that's at the very beginning. And in Greek grammar, if, you want to, if we want to emphasize something in English, we uh, underline it, we make it capital letters, we change the font. We, we have ways to visually show what we're trying to emphasize. In Greek, if you want to emphasize something, 
you, make, you put it at the beginning of the sentence, and, but it would be kind of clumsy to read it that way. It would read, so much love did God have for the world that he gave. But to put it in our Western mind to allow it to kind of flow like honey, for God so loved the world. It's saying the same thing. But we lose the emphasis in our English of how much emphasis there is, is, is love. How much of God's love was involved in his motivation to send his son to die for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Two verses later, John clarifies that he who believes in him is not judged. What's the basis of him not being judged? He believes. He has faith. He's accepted what God has said. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, and whenever you see therefore, we were told, you always look to see what it's there for. And that would take you back to chapter 4. And we don't have time to look. So this, as Thad would say, your assignment for this afternoon is read chapter 4 so you can see what the therefore is there for. But therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Ah, oh, isn't that nice? Well, but wait a minute. Let's make sure we don't confuse ourselves. How, how do we have peace with God? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no peace apart from Christ. And having been justified by faith, that is a... Uh, uh, oh, I forgot what you call it. Uh, Participial phrase. And it's antecedent to the peace. It's clear, it's important to emphasize that it's the justification by faith, which is believing in Christ, that therefore brings peace. The peace is the result of your putting your faith in Christ. And when you put your faith in Christ, God justifies you. He declares you righteous. He imputes you with his own righteousness. And so the order is very clear. Faith first, then the justification, and it produces peace. I know a lot of people that don't have peace. They're worried about everything, and they can't, they can't stop it. You, know, you can tell them, listen, it's, it's not healthy to be a worry wart, and it's not necessary. Don't take this burden upon yourself. Enjoy the fact that in Christ you have peace. And you have a God who has a purpose for your life, now and forever. And you know, run with that. Enjoy that. Don't, don't go into the dark room and, where, of things that confuse you and things that you have no control over. He's a peace giver. And John, we're told that he gives the peace of salvation, but he also gives the peace of service. And he gives the peace of, uh, of the future, of throwing off this sinful nature one day and being glorified in his presence. But that's a part of the treasure. Uh, 
Secondly, we're co-inheritors with Christ. That's the future part of our treasure. There's something waiting for us that's beyond description. I can't fully explain it. But John 14, 2 says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. We brag about having a summer vacation place. Don't want to brag, but I can go down to Sandestin for four days every year. And I own this condo for four days. And uh, I have the right to mess it up. Uh, I have the right to bump into another car in the under, in the, uh, under deck parking, which I did this last time. That was fun. They also have lakes because of the golf courses, and you can fish them. Catch big bass using small minnows. You can't eat them because some of them have horns and some of them have four eyes. Uh, they fertilize the, the golf courses and all that runs into the lagoons. And they say, feel free to catch them, and, but just don't eat them. And so you catch them, take a picture, and throw them back, throw them back. But God is saying, hey, there's something waiting for you that would make that look like a slum. You're going to dwell with me, and I have a place prepared for you, a dwelling place in a glorified state where the streets are paved with gold. We can't even get our streets to be paved with asphalt. <laughs> call them and call them. Oh, well, you know, there are other people that have needs too. Yeah, I understand that. How much are they giving you? How much are they paying you? <clears throat> but we are co-inheritors with Christ. Colossians 1.12 says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We're going to be a part of the body of Christ, which as a whole will be joint heirs with Christ. That's Romans 8.17. It says that if you're children, that is, you've put your faith in Christ, then you're heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And the question is, well, how much does Christ get when he sees the Father? He gets it all because he's God. And then if we're joint heirs, how much do we get? We get it all. I'd be willing to take 20%, frankly. I thought that would be a... But he says, no, you're my child. You're going to share in everything that God has made. Christ will inherit the creation, and we will be joint heirs with him. You want to have a, a picnic lunch on Pluto? You think, and you're there. You'll enjoy your lunch, come back, go wherever you want. If anybody says, oh, hey, you're trespassing, no, I'm not. I own this. I'm a joint heir with the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, because he's my Savior and my Lord. And I served him on earth, and now I'm enjoying, I'm reaping the benefits of being with him for all eternity to come. Um, one final one on the treasure. We can live free from the power of sin. That's the present. The past, we're, we're justified in eternal 
children of God. We're redeemed. The future, we're going to be joint heirs with Christ in the glorified future. In the present, we can live free from the power of sin. You see, before you came to Christ, your nature was under the curse of sin. And no matter what you did, it could never please God because God would never accept anything that came from that nature. Now, that doesn't mean you couldn't do good things. A lot of unsaved people are surgeons and they save lives and they're, they're authors and poets and, and they're engineers. They design. Being, being depraved doesn't mean that you, you're in the gutter and, and, and you can't think straight. It means that you're separated from God because of sin. But because now you're his child, he has given you a new nature. Christ now dwells in you, Paul tells us. And every day of your life now, you have to make a choice. Because that old man, he hasn't been eradicated. Some say he has. I just don't think, think that's right. I've asked people that believe that. I say, well, how do you explain sin in a believer's life? They say, well, it's really not you that's uh, sinning. It's Satan that's sinning in your flesh. And he's, he's trying to make you feel like you did it. But really, you didn't do it. And I don't know, that, that gets kind of complicated for me. Uh, or they say, well, it, it, it's, it's the flesh that's sinning. And I'm saying, were well, you talking about meat and bone? That, that's not what sins. Flesh is a term used in the scripture to describe you before you became a believer. You had a, a personality, you had intelligence, emotion, and will, and they were all separated from God. And as a believer, you now have a new nature. And the old nature has not been eradicated, but now there's a battle going in, going on. He still wants to tempt you. Satan wants to tempt you through the flesh. But now you can say, no, I'm not going to serve you anymore. I'm going to serve my new master. And that's why Christ redeemed us, not to rid us of a master. He redeemed us so that we could stop serving the wrong master and start serving the right master every day when you say, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk in obedience to what God says. I'm going to be an obedient child of God. Paul says, uh, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't be running around with, with the, the, the underground of the world. You can't be li living in sin and say, well, but I don't have any choice. Well, that would mean you're not a believer. But if you're a believer, you do have a choice. You can say no. And Romans 6, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. He says, even so... Consider yourselves. That word consider means reckon. Reckon. Consider yourselves. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. It means that I don't listen to you anymore. You remember the movie uh, about the, the genius who was having uh, illusions all his life, and he thought that there was an FBI agent. It's called A Beautiful Mind. Uh, and... 
there was an FBI agent that was constantly recruiting him to, to do things. And, and there was a little girl that he would talk to. And, and the thing that finally penetrated his delusion and, and showed him reality was that after all these years, that FBI agent hadn't aged a bit. He still wore that hat, and, and the little girl was still a little girl. And he realized that's not reality. In reality, children grow up. In reality, adults, young adults become old adults. Uh, I am, in reality, if I told you that, well, you know, I'm only 34 years old, you'd say, well, you need to quit taking that medicine because you don't look 34, and your birth certificate says you're 70, and next month you'll be 71. And the, the way the man dealt with that problem for the rest of his life was that he just had to, whenever that FBI agent approached him, he said, you're not real. I'm not going to listen to you. You're not real. And when the little girl wanted to talk to him, I'm not talking to you. You're not real. You're dead. That's what we have to do to the old man. He's going to try to talk to us and convince us that, hey, I'm, I, I have control of your life. And you've got to say, no, you don't. I'm a child of God. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to study God's Word, and I'm going to do what He wants me to do. And so we are set free from the power of sin so that we can serve God all the days of this life. And when we leave this world, He'll finally, God will finally remove sin altogether. And in our eternal abode, that will never be a problem again. We won't, sin will no longer be a reality in God's eternal heaven. Our nation's freedom is based on the Declaration of Independence, and we should never take for granted the freedom that was purchased by those men in that generation. It was purchased at a great price and on our behalf. But conversely, we should never take for granted our spiritual freedom. We should never take for granted that because of Christ, he not only has delivered us from the penalty of sin, he not only has promised us a future eternity with him, but he has promised in this life that we no longer have to serve sin. We can choose to serve him. And that's what the mature Christian does. That's how he matures. That's how he grows. And there's a correlation, I think, between the two. Despite what our Supreme Court keeps telling us about separation of church and state, listen to what uh, Omar Bradley, you remember him? He was one of the World War II generals uh, he served under George Patton, and then later he ended up serving over George Patton. He was known as one of the great generals of World War II. And he commanded the 12th Army and later served as the first chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff. And this is his simple... Oh, where'd it go? I, I guess I don't have it on the screen. Let me read it to you. Quote, America today is running on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when that momentum runs down, God help America. Let me let that sink in. I'll read it to you again. 
America today is running on the momentum of a godly ancestry. And when that momentum runs down, God help America. He understands that our nation is being kidnapped and taken over by people who have no appreciation for what the founding fathers intended America to be. And as we continually tear down all the things that have been built by men who feared God and men who wanted to honor God and serve God, as we see our culture disintegrating into anarchy and uh, uh, all the other ways you can describe it, uh, how in the world can we say, God bless America? You know, I, I can't, to be honest, I cannot understand why God has not already lowered the boom. And it's only his grace that he hasn't. Peter says that he's slow about his coming because he desires that all men come to a saving knowledge of his son. So every day is a day of grace, a day to proclaim the truth, a day to respond in obedience and believe. Because one day, uh, he's going to come and remove his church from this earth. And then America, whether it's, it continues to go on, I don't know. But without the church in America, uh, it's bad enough with the church. <laughs> imagine America without the true church. America, um, imagine the world without the true church. So I'm all for celebrating. I'm for acknowledging who we are and giving thanks that he's given us the freedoms we have as Americans. And I don't have time uh, today to do it, but uh, out on the table, if you want it, you, you're welcome to take it. I have a little half sheet, and it's sort of a, a declaration, a spiritual declaration of independence. And it just lists some things that we should commit ourselves to doing and not doing based on Scripture. And pick a copy up and read it, and if that uh, helps you in any way, I'm glad to do it. But uh, yes, we are blessed with two great freedoms. Freedoms as Americans. And people are trying to take those away from us every day. And we have the freedom in Christ Jesus. And we can never be taken from God, but Satan can destroy our ability to enjoy who we are by dragging us back into the life that made us so miserable that we desired to know Christ, to be set free from that old life, from that old man. And uh, I think the closing verse was uh, Galatians 5.1. Paul says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't let the world bring you back under its authority. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are ambassadors for Christ. We celebrate the freedom of our country because we're Americans. God put us here. Let's also celebrate the fact that we're Christians. And we're here for a time. This is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. But while we're here, 
Let's let the world see what it's like to be spiritually free. The joy that comes in our life as we walk with God and obey him and see the blessings that he brings upon us and the impact that he uses us to make in the world that we live in. Father, I do pray and I give thanks that you have given us such great blessing. Blessings in terms of our physical heritage. We're Americans. We didn't have a say-so in this. We're the product of our parents, and they were the product of their parents. But there was a generation 243 years ago, they decided to stand up and declare their freedom. And they did it asking you to honor that. And Lord, for 243 years, you've used America as the shining light. You've used America and you've influenced other nations to be like America in terms of being missionary sending countries and to take the gospel around the world. We pray that that would not cease. We also pray, Father, that as believers, we would never let the fire die down in our, our spirit and soul. May every day be a day we wake up and just say, it's so wonderful, Lord, to be able to talk to you, not only as the God of creation, but as my Father. Thank you for your Son and what he did for us. And we look forward, Lord, to not only seeing him one day, but until then, we want to be good, faithful servants and proclaim the excellencies of his name. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Let's all stand up. Sing worthy. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the 
close, I just want to thank everybody that has uh, helped us as we've moved in. The ladies came the other day and helped us paint, which I'm glad they came because I despise painting uh, houses. And I just want to thank you so much for your generosity, for your servant attitude. And that's, this church has always been like that, and I just really appreciate it a lot. Uh, before I close, too, I want to call Joy Dolan up here for a second. Is she here? Oh, she's 
in the nursery. Well, she's about to go on a missions trip to Uganda, Africa, and I believe she's leaving tomorrow, right? And I just want to say a special prayer for her as we close. Father God, as we just come before you and, and we just thank you so much that we can put our trust in you, that we can love you. Uh, you will never let us down. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And we just thank you that you're that that solid, firm foundation in our lives. We want to pray that you will be that foundation for joy as she goes on this uh, missions trip, that you'll work in her heart and her life, but that you'll work in the others that she's going to minister with, as well as the other team, that many will come to know you, um, that your love will be shown to them. We just pray that everything will run smoothly, uh, that your name will be glorified, uh, in all that she says, does, and thinks. And we thank you so much for this time of freedom uh, just to worship you publicly and privately. And we give you all the glory and honor for everything that you're going to do in our lives this week. Pray I sing in your name. Amen. You're dismissed.